folks, welcome to Radio Free SD. Um, on this episode, uh, we recorded this a couple weeks back, um, and we just read through an Einstein essay, um, and then have a little discussion about it. Um, I'm going to link uh, to the essay uh, in the description in case you want to read it for yourself. Um, and I just wanted to, uh, you know, remind everybody before the episode starts uh, that you can find us on Twitter at RFSD Pod. Uh, make sure you know you can subscribe and listen on Anchor.fm slash Radio FreeSD, uh, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, uh, where you should go and give us a five star uh, review. Help get us up in the algorithm and such. Um, and enjoy the episode, folks. Fuck yeah. Folks, welcome to Radio Free Motherfucking South Dakota. Alright, folks? The mother effing number one left wing podcast in South Dakota. And we're coming to you. We're coming to you live from our autonomous zone beneath the Corn Palace. And as always, as always, it's me, John, and I'm joined by my trusty co host, aka. The sensitive gangster of South Dakota, Matt. How you doing, big hoss? I'm doing good. (laughs) I'm doing really good. How you doing, my sensitive gangster? I fucking hate you. You exhaust me. (laughs) I just think the calling yourself a sensitive Um, gangster. I'm got. I'm like that's like that's for people who listen to Drake. Um, Yeah, I'm great, homie. They. They in a they in a pandemic. We in a pandemic. God, dude. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but folks, we've got a, a good episode here for you today. Um, and so for this episode, Matt and I are going to be staring directly at the picture of George H. Uh, w. Bush with a baseball uh, and laughing at it hysterically for about thirty minutes. <laughs> I love that. Man. That's a classic. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, uh, actually, though, um, we're going to fucking – we got a little essay we want to read. We're trying to – you know, we like to talk our shit and talk about stupid stuff. But we also – you know, we want to read read some actual, you know, socialist literature ideas and kind of maybe break it down a little bit for people. You know what I mean? Um, because, you know, uh, we have a slightly – I, I don't like to, you know, I think we could both agree we don't like to call ourselves experts or mm-hmm. anything like that. But, um, you know, we I would say we probably know a little bit more than the average South Dakota. I would say um, that's absolutely fair. So, uh, I, talking to people, um, they, they, yeah. people don't really know. People just think, well, so you want everyone to be exactly the same. You want everyone to be equal. They're like, no, not quite. <laughs> that's not exactly what I believe. So let's... Yeah, we don't want anyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, how can I be racist <laughs> if I hate everybody equally, right? Um, nah, bitch. I don't care what color you are. If you're purple, brown, Why is it always purple? yellow, Why green, polka dot. Purple and not like green or some shit. I don't know. Like, per- like I've met people who like are so black they are purple. I've, I've had many people say that to me about. I have too, man. I just don't. I don't um, get it. Um, we don't get it, folks. Um, but so, you know, you may have heard of this little fellow named Albert Einstein, little, little, little outside Einstein, 
as it would be said in German. Um, Let's go, baby. Um, and, you know, Albert Einstein, obviously, big mm-hmm. smart dude, big yeah, numbers yeah, yeah. guy, you know, he's a big stats guy. The best guy. of the numbers. Uh, <laughs> yes, he's so good. <laughs> um, and, you know, one thing that a lot of people don't really know maybe about Albert Einstein um, is that he was a socialist. Um, and, you know, he had to flee Germany uh, because he was Jewish. Um, he had to flee uh, the Nazis. And, you know, um, I think it's kind of interesting. Kind of he has kind of a conflicted history in a lot of ways, because, I mean, he did help the U.S. build uh, the first atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, he pretty clearly expressed a lot of regret for that. Um, uh, but, you know. We're, we're not going to do a big history on Albert Einstein. Today, it's about what he We did want to read this essay. About his conclusions. Yeah. It's an excellent essay for people who are laymen into social socialist theory and people who are interested in, like, how what, how did you guys become socialists or communists? How did you come to your conclusions? And for us, it's deeply personal stuff, but none of us, neither John nor I, are as eloquent as uh, little Steiny over here. So let's get to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and this was published what in 1949 uh, in in the Monthly Review, which is a, a socialist magazine that you know, I think is still it is. going to this day. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think this was published in the very first issue of, uh, of Monthly Review, um, and it's a it's just a really simple piece, um, and I, I think it it does a lot. So we're gonna read through it. I'll probably play some sensitive relaxing gangster music uh Give over some it, soft kisses uh over the yeah. reading and then once we're done with uh once we're done with the reading uh we're gonna have a little discussion and kind of maybe pick out parts of it and you know have a discussion on on what was important to us things we think could be clarified etc so with that uh before we get into the reading just a reminder uh follow us on twitter at rfsd pod uh, you can also uh, find the show on anchor.fm slash radio free SD. Uh, the show is also on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Make sure you get down there. Give us a five star review on Apple podcasts, you know, boost us up in the search engine, the algorithm that we all know and love. Um, and then reminder also, uh, make sure you listen to our episode we did last week where we interviewed the guys from uh, rock art caucus. Uh, and it was a, it was a good time, and uh, you know, go uh, listen to their show too, because uh, it's very good. I listen to it when I'm at work. Um, and with that, let's get into the reading. <clears throat> it is advisable for one who is not an expert on economic and social issues to express views on the subject of socialism? I believe for a number of reasons that it is. Let us first consider the question from the point of view of scientific knowledge. It might appear that there are no essential methodological differences between astronomy and economics. Scientists in both fields attempt to discover laws of general acceptability for a circumscribed group of phenomena in order to make the interconnection of these phenomena as clearly understandable as possible. But in reality, such methodological differences do exist. 
The discovery of general laws in the field of economics is made difficult by the circumstance that observed economic phenomena are often affected by many factors which are very hard to evaluate separately. In addition, the experience which has accumulated since the beginning of the so-called civilized period of human history has, as is well known, been largely influenced and limited, limited by causes which are by no means exclusively economic in nature. For example, most of the major states of history owed their existence to conquest. The conquering peoples established themselves legally and economically as the privileged class of the conquered country. They seized for themselves a monopoly of the land ownership and appointed a priesthood from among their own ranks. The priests, in control of education, made the class division of society into a permanent institution and created a system of values by which the people were henceforth, to a large extent unconsciously, guided in their social behavior. But historic tradition is, so to speak, of yesterday. Nowhere have we really overcome what Thorstein Vleben called the, quote, predatory phase of human development. The observable economic facts belong to that phase, and even such laws as we can derive from them are not applicable to other phases. Since the real purpose of socialism is precisely to overcome and advance beyond the predatory phase of human development, economic science in its present state can throw little light on the socialist society of the future. Second, socialism is directed towards a social-ethical end. Science, however, cannot create ends and, even less, instill them in human beings. Science, at most, can supply the means by which to attain certain ends, but the ends themselves are conceived by personalities with lofty ethical ideals, and if these ends are not stillborn, but vital and vigorous, are adopted and carried forward by these many human beings who have unconsciously determined the slow evolution of society. For these reasons, we should be on our guard not to overestimate science and scientific methods when it is a question of human problems, and we should not assume that experts are the only ones who have a right to express themselves on questions afflicting the organization of society. Innumerable voices have been asserting for some time now that human society is passing through a crisis, that its stability has been gravely shattered. It is characteristic of such a situation that in individuals feel indifferent or even hostile toward the group, small or large, to which they belong. In order to illustrate my meaning, let me record here a personal experience. I recently discussed with an intelligent and well-disposed man the threat of another war, which in my opinion would seriously endanger the existence of mankind, and I remarked that only a supernatural organization would offer protection from the danger. Thereupon my visitor, very calmly and coolly, said to me, Why are you so deeply opposed to the disappearance of the human race? I am sure that as little as a century ago, no one would have so lightly made a statement of this kind. It is the statement of a man who has striven in vain to attain an equilibrium within himself and has more or less lost hope of succeeding. It is the expression of a painful solitude and isolation from which so many people are suffering in these days. What is the cause? Is there a way out? It is easy to raise such questions, but difficult to answer them with any degree of assurance. I must try, however, as best I can, although I am very conscious of the fact that our feelings and strivings are often contradictory and obscure and that they cannot be expressed in easy and simple formulas. Man is, at one and the same time, a solitary being and a social being. As a solitary being, he attempts to protect his own existence and that of those who are closest to him. 
to satisfy his personal desires and to develop his innate abilities. As a social being, he seeks to gain the recognition and affection of his fellow human beings, to share in their pleasures, to comfort them in their sorrows, and to improve their conditions of life. Only the existence of these varied, frequently conflicted, conflicting strivings accounts for the special character of a man, and their specific combination determines the extent to which an individual can achieve an inner equilibrium and can contribute to the well-being of society. It is quite possible that the relative strength of these two drives is, in the main, fixed by inheritance. But the personality that finally emerges is largely formed by the environment in which a man happens to find himself during his development, by the structure of the society in which he grows up, by the tradition of that society, and by its appraisal of particular types of behavior. The abstract concept of quote-unquote society means means to the individual human being the sum total of his direct and indirect relations to his contemporaries and to all the people of earlier generations. The individual is able to think, feel, strive, and work by himself, but he depends so much upon society in his physical, intellectual, and emotional existence that it is impossible to think of him or to understand him outside of the framework of society. It is society which provides man with food, clothing, a home, the work, the tools of work, language, the forms of thought, and most of the content of thought. His life is made possible through the labor and the accomplishments of the many millions, past and present, who are all hidden behind the small word society. It is evident, therefore, that the dependence of the individual upon society is a fact of nature which cannot be abolished. Just as in the case of ants and bees, However, while the whole life process of ants and bees is fixed down to the smallest detail by rigid, hereditary instincts, the social pattern and interrelationships of human beings are very variable and susceptible to change. Memory, the capacity to make new combinations, the gift of oral communication, have made possible developments among human beings which are not dictated by biological necessities. Such developments manifest themselves in traditions, institutions, and organizations, in literature, in scientific and engineering accomplishments, in works of art. This explains how it happens that, in a certain sense, man can influence his life through his own conduct, and that in this process, conscious thinking and wanting can play a part. Man acquires at birth, through heredity, a biological constitution which we must consider fixed and unalterable, including the natural urges which are characteristic of the human species. In addition, during his lifetime, he acquires a cultural constitution which he adopts from society through communication and through many other types of influences. It is this cultural constitution which, with the passage of time, is subject to change and which determines to a very large extent the relationship between the individual and society. Modern anthropology has taught us, through comparative investigation of so-called primitive cultures, that the social behavior of human beings may differ greatly, depending on prevailing cultural patterns and the types of organization which predominate in society. It is on this that those who are striving to improve the lot of man may ground their hopes. Human beings are not condemned, because of their biological constitution, to annihilate each other or to be at the mercy of a cruel, self-inflicted We ask ourselves how the structure of society and the cultural attitude of man should be changed in order to make a human life as satisfying as possible, we should constantly be conscious of the fact that there are certain conditions which we are unable, unable to modify. 
As mentioned before, the biological nature of man is, for all practical purposes, not subject to change. Furthermore, technological and demographic developments of the last few centuries have created conditions which are here to stay. In relatively densely settled populations with the goods which are indispensable to their continued existence, an extreme division of labor and a highly centralized productive apparatus are absolutely necessary. The time, which, looking back, seems so idyllic, is gone forever when individuals or relatively small groups can be completely self-sufficient. It is only a slight exaggeration to say that mankind constitutes even now a planetary community of production and consumption. I have now reached the point where I may indicate briefly what to me constitutes the essence of the crisis of our time. It concerns the relationship of the individual to society. The individual has become more conscious than ever of his dependence upon society. But he does not experience this dependence as a positive asset, as an organic tie, as a protective force, but rather as a threat to his natural rights or even to his economic existence. Moreover, his position in society is such that the egotistical drives of his makeup are constantly being accentuated, while his social drives, which, by, which are by nature weaker, progressively deteriorate. All human beings, whatever their position in society, are suffering from this process of deterioration. Unknowingly prisoners of their own egotism, they feel insecure, lonely, and deprived of the naive, simple, and unsophisticated enjoyment of life. Man can find meaning in life, short and perilous as it is, only through devoting himself to society. The economic anarchy of capitalist society as it exists today is, in my opinion, the real source of the evil. We see before us a huge community of producers, the members of which are unceasingly striving to deprive each other of the fruits of their collective labor, not by force, but on the whole, in faithful compliance with the legally established rules. In this respect, it is important to realize that the means of production, that is to say, the entire productive capacity that is needed for producing consumer goods, as well as additional capital goods, may legally be, and for the most part are, the private property of individuals. For the sake of simplicity, in the discussion that follows, I shall call workers all those who do not share in the ownership of the means of production, although the, this does not quite correspond to the customary use of the term. The owner of the means of production is in a position to purchase the labor power of the worker. By using the means of production, the worker produces new goods which become the property of the capitalist. The essential point about this process is the relation between what the worker produces and what he is paid, both measured in terms of real value. Insofar as the labor contract is free, what the worker receives is determined not by the real value of the goods he produces, but by his minimum needs and by the capitalist's requirements for labor power in relation to the number of workers competing for jobs. It is important to understand that even in theory, the payment of the worker is not determined by the value of his product. Private capital tends to become concentrated in few hands, partly because of competition amongst the capitalists and partly because, because of technological development and the increasing division of labor encourage the formation of larger units of production at the expense of smaller ones. The result of these developments is an oligarchy of private capital, the enormous power of which cannot be effectively checked even by a democratically organized political society. This is true since the members of legislative bodies are selected by political parties, largely financed or otherwise influenced by private capitalists who, for all practical purposes, separate the electorate from the legislature. 
The consequence is that the representatives of the people do not, in fact, sufficiently protect the interests of the underprivileged sections of the population. Moreover, under existing conditions, private capitalists inevitably control, directly or indirectly, the main sources of information, press, radio, or education. It is thus extremely difficult, and indeed in most cases quite impossible, for the individual citizen to come to objective conclusions and to make an intelligent use of his or her political rights. The situation prevailing in an economy based on the private ownership of capital is thus characterized by two main principles. First, means of production, capital, are privately owned and the owners dispose of them as they see fit. Second, the labor contract is free. Of course, there is no such thing as a pure capitalist society in this sense. In particular, it should be noted that the workers, through long and bitter political struggles, have succeeded in securing a somewhat improved form of the free labor contract for certain categories of workers. But taken as a whole, the present-day economy does not differ much from pure capital. Production is carried on for profit, not for use. There is no provision that all those able and willing to work will always be in a position to find employment. An quote-unquote army of unemployed almost always exists. The worker is constantly in fear of losing his job. Since unemployed and poorly paid workers do not provide a profitable market, the production of consumers' goods is restricted. And great hardship is the consequence. Technological progress frequently results in more unemployment rather than an easing of the burden of work for all. The profit motive, in conjunction with competition amongst capitalists, is responsible for an instability in the accumulation and utilization of capital, which leads to increasingly severe depressions. Unlimited competition leads to a huge waste of labor and to that crippling of the social consciousness of individuals which I mentioned before. This crippling of individuals I consider the worst evil of capitalism. Our whole educational system suffers from this evil. An exaggerated competitive attitude is inculcated into the student, who is trained to worship acquisitive success as a preparation for his future career. I am convinced that there is only one way to eliminate these grave evils, namely through an establishment of a socialist economy, accompanied by an educational system which would be oriented towards social goals. In such an economy, the means of production are owned by society itself and are utilized in a planned fashion. A planned economy, which adjusts production to the needs of the community, would distribute the work to be done amongst all those able to work and would guarantee a livelihood to every man, woman, and child. The education of the individual, in addition to promoting his own innate abilities, would attempt to develop him in a, a sense of responsibility for his fellow men, in place of the glorification of power and success in our present society. Nevertheless, it is necessary to remember that a planned economy is not yet socialism. A planned economy as such may be accompanied by the complete enslavement of the individual. The achievement of socialism requires the solution of some extremely difficult socio-political problems. How is it possible, in view of the far-reaching centralization of political and economic power, to prevent bureaucracy from becoming all-powerful and overweening? How can the rights of the individual be protected and therewith a democratic counterweight to the power of bureaucracy be assured? Clarity about the aims and problems of socialism is of greatest significance in our age of transition. Since, under present circumstances, free and unhindered discussion of these problems has come under a powerful taboo, I consider the foundation of this magazine to be an important public service.
And and that's Finn. it. That's that's the essay. Uh, John, do you have any thoughts? I want to hear you talk on it first. You know, the one thing I, I, I really like this essay, just because it's like really simple, easy, pretty easy to understand for mm-hmm. the most part. Um, the one thing that like is really striking about it, which I think is like kind of true of a lot about a lot of socialist or Marxist analysis or literature is how much it still applies to today um like you know he's talking about uh our present society is in the midst of a crisis that was true just as much back in 1949 as it is today and you know in a lot of ways that crisis is even worse uh today than it was in in the you know yeah i mean yeah Um, keep going sorry and 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 then i also was the, the one thing I really appreciate about this essay is about how he, in the beginning, he talks about um, just how the individual, I mean, he, he says, the individual has become more conscious than ever of his dependence upon society, but he does not experience this dependence as a positive asset, as an organic tie, as a protective force, but rather as a threat to his natural rights or even to his economic existence. Um, and, you know, I think that like really still applies mm-hmm. today. Um, you know, just like so many people that, that, that right there is like a perfect summation of like the American idea of like government is that like, you should never want to be like assisted by the government. You hate the government, like, you know, this kind of small government conservative bullshit that, that really right there is a perfect summation of uh, at, at what they believe in a certain sense um, or rather maybe not necessarily what they believe but how uh, it, it um, you know gets into the workers minds and how workers start to believe that and that's kind of how they view it I think um, and and I think it, it is still really important today you know like people always talk about how you know how can we reach disaffected people and like a lot of disaffected people, they, they either drift to the right or they just don't give a fuck yeah. about politics. Um, and I think, you know, one thing I think about a lot is about just like how like among young people, like our age in society, like there's no like, um, you know, there's no clubs or groups that we're all a part of. There's no shared uh, either political or otherwise like space where we like have a sense of camaraderie and community you know there is no community anymore um like and i live in a small a decently smallish college town and there's no community here you know people don't give a fuck about their neighbors they you know they keep to themselves you know you got your friends you got your coworkers. maybe you're in a little club or group but there's no over like arching sense of community identity and i think that that is kind of like I think that's kind of uh, an important thing to take from this um, because like I've really always felt that way um, like about Brookings, uh, South Dakota is that we have no mm-hmm. community um, and, and one way that we can you know bring people out of kind of their malaise and their, their indifference um, is to like have like a, an organization that stands for us all and that we all are a part of and we all engage in like this shared struggle like i've 
always thought that like that's a huge reason why like so many young people our age are suicidal um or you know because it's it's an epidemic uh like young people our age being suicidal being depressed killing themselves it's an epidemic you know two people in my uh like when i was in school two people committed suicide um when one when i was in eighth grade one my fucking senior year it was my best one of my best friends um and like that that has always kind of drawn me to socialism i would say i don't know what do you, i what mean do you think? i think it's just like one of the things i appreciate about it is i like i think now have like i've never known a world outside of uh the information economy uh like the internet has always been around my entire life and I, your entire life too and um well that well that it's kind of interesting too though it's like i'm only three years older than you but like i remember when like especially in like that three years like i didn't get a smartphone until i was in high school you know what i mean like the internet was like just becoming a thing and i i don't know i'm kind of like in between millennials yeah you're like you're like like a late millennial early zoomer i'm pretty firmly in a zoomer position but like i think about like how my father lived um in a time without the the internet my father was born in like 1960 and i'm always like like it's not that different in terms of like the way culture was but then like i communicate with him and then i realize wow like the way we were shaped as individuals is so drastically different the media we consume is so different like convenience now is insane like we're like even more individualized yeah yeah, we're more atomized einstein wrote this yeah and for einstein like like a, a man who uh, I'm like was born in like the late 1800s. So like again, he was born like after the Industrial Revolution. But his parents, for him, he remembers and has like that cultural antecedent memory of pre-industrial society. And there's a very famous little anecdote about Marx talking to his daughter, like holding an apple, saying, "I don't know who grew this." And his daughter saying, well, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Well, no, no, you don't understand what I'm saying." Like before industrial society, uh, before like production was so like amped up and industrialized, you would know the butcher, you would know the the man who grew apples. Mm-hmm. Like personally, they would be a part of your community. The economy was your society as well, and so like like for him, that's like. And that's not to say like that feudal society no, was no, great or but something. No, no, it's an aspect but, of, like that's how we have. I know what you alienation. mean is that you are alienated from your labor. You do not really see it have beneficial effects on other people. You just do it and then it's done. Like you do not get to see the like mm-hmm. great aspects of its like productive force. That's like a small social observation that Marx made. And so like when Einstein is talking about like feudal society, the thing the social bands uh, that he refers to, like people idealize that society because there still were like, I mean, obviously it was horribly imperfect. And he mentions that in his, like, brief discussions on um, colonialism and on, um, uh, like, like fiefdom, uh, like, cultures in essence. Like, like, the strict hierarchy of these things. But social society was still firmly in place. There was still a culture that was shared between people. You understood other people around you. And there wasn't, like, that kind of insane, like... Like, with every new person you meet, like, with the way people are atomized and individualized in capitalist society, um, it, it's a new culture to in, interact with. And that's an exciting thing. 
but it's there's difficulties with that, especially in regards to labor. So I think the way he addresses things socially, I find really compelling. Um, he dimensions at the beginning um, the way that the social sciences are very different than uh, the more hard sciences uh, in that social sciences are like can affect every aspect of functionality the same way philosophy can be applied to any discipline so too can um economic analysis or political analysis or like i mean as marx termed it the political economy um and so you have those things that i find really really compelling but like the thing that really stuck out to me it was a very short portion of it but like really just like have been it's been lingering in my mind um is him talking about um the way people are disincentivized to learn and to become educated about the political economy because of like so many distractions and like forged uh, propaganda machines, whether it's television, whether it's radio, whether it's newspapers. And now like all of things like culture in and of itself now is like essentially like and Baudrillard talks about this simulated. You have media forming and forging politics for everyone. Like, making uh like absurd manufacturing yeah, exactly. consent and like making uh, like like micro realities for people to live in like that's why you have people who just completely are disengaged and because they have their own worlds that they can function in they have their own uh political education no matter how nonsensical and incoherent it is that's what is can be funneled to them and because again it, it's diffuse and like a spider's web all this in, this information like even though the internet is an enormous gift in terms of like getting radicalized um it's still owned by corporations you still have like an essence of sort of monopoly on this kind of stuff and like i today i just saw a tweet where someone looks up why does capitalism fail and then all of the suggested like uh things to look up in google mentioned socialism why does socialism always fail why did socialism fail in honduras whatever like all these different countries and it's like mm -hmm. and, yeah, yeah. and then the person says thanks google for filling in my thoughts for me you have algorithms now like like media literally forms and contorts to people's fears and anxieties and will turn them away from getting radicalized and so uh, and like I love how Einstein talks about it in a very non-judgmental way, where it's like, who can expect someone with all the insanity and tension after the greatest conflict in human history, like this feeling of there being another world war on the horizon, who can like be like standing around thinking, oh yeah, like the economy is like really weird. Maybe I should like uh, like go on strike or organize. Like people are so like stratified that they're not going to be thinking of things like that and they're going to turn to uh pleasure if they even know yeah what exactly is. And, and so you i know a lot of people who don't yeah, know what and i think does. when he talks about and explains like the basics of how production works and the basics of how um those who like, about yeah about the means of production being owned by individuals at the expense of people who create and work things um he never really discusses mm. like the different theories of value because it's irrelevant to him it's a matter of just objective observation that okay this is what drives these things forward how does this affect individuals within the society how does this affect society as a whole and i again i also appreciate that um einstein 
doesn't fall into the stupid trap where people are like always the collective first and the individual down. Like, obviously, you should be more concerned about society than yourself. You should not be like selfish. You should be altruistic. Um, but like, I think it's mm-hmm. not a contradiction to say that America, as like collectively, should be destroyed. But all the people individually who live here deserve redemption and deserve to be able to survive. Like, I care about the individuals in the United States. I despise the United States as a collective. I care about the collective goodness of humanity, but I think that, like, like, like you know what I mean? Like, in that essence, it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, like, I, Mar- um, no, I almost said Marx. Uh, Einstein doesn't, like, talk about, like, oh, I only care about the collective good. His entire ethos is this is good for the individual and the collective. You need to have these resources provided to people. You need to have people have their educational needs provided for it, and you can have a flourishing society. We do not have to live in intense hierarchies as those in like feudal societies mm-hmm. did. Capitalism has any acknowledges yeah. there's good things about capitalism, but um, ultimately the thing that he's commenting on is way more complex, and that's the thing I appreciate too. Is he completely clarifies yeah. and says. It's it's craziness, you know. Like uh, I can't yeah. summarize it. And and kind of like on what you were talking about, like a little bit before too, about you know how they've created you know their manufacturing consent through the press and the TV and radio, etc. Um, and you know, one thing that I I like that I think he talks about that his is still like very salient today is when he talks about, you know, our political parties are controlled by the interests of the private capitalists. And then, um, so, so basically the, what this does, it sep- as he says, it separates the electorate, electorate from the legislator. Les- legislature. Yeah. That's a fucked up um, word. And then like, okay. yeah. And then these, these conditions, you know, since the private capitalists, they control the political parties and then they also control the main sources of information. It creates... Uh, you know, it, it makes it impossible, quote, for the individual citizen to come to objective conclusions and to make intelligent use of his political mm-hmm. rights. And I think that we we can see that today with these insane conspiracy theories and yeah, like QAnon yeah, yeah. Um, and, and like like flatter because bullshit. like on, on like on one hand, like the 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 thing about QAnon that they're right about is that. There is uh, like a satanic uh, pedophile ring that is like implicated yeah, not in the like highest satanic, levels of our government. But there is like there are elites who are pedophiles. I just consider them to yeah, be evil. Evil, Satanists. but like yeah, they're not like like they don't actually believe in the devil. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. I, but 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 then they they can't actually solve. You know, there's a contradiction between. Supporting Donald Trump and then also believing that he is going like to purge, bring yeah, the pedophiles yeah, yeah. to justice. You know what I mean? Like, and this total just like whether it's the liberal media, the conservative media, this total uh, lack of like grounding in the material like circumstances of people's actual lives creates this disconnect to where you have to like search for answers on your own. And you know, like one thing that always makes me laugh is like when people on the internet like are arguing with someone they're like hey i i can you explain can you expand on this thing you're claiming and they're like well google is free 
And it's like, well, they can go Google it and they'll fucking find the wrong answer. You know what I mean? Like, people aren't just always going to naturally, you know, for me, like, I just, like, as a young man and then as I got older, I just just read Marx and I was like, it's smart for me to believe this because I'm a worker and it would be stupid for me to like go out of my way to be to call myself I'm a capitalist or whatever you know what I mean that is not in my self-interest because I'm not a capitalist I'm never going to benefit from that you know what I mean and not everybody is going to make that connection right away a lot of people don't even consider themselves workers they consider themselves middle class or whatever you know what I mean I don't remember Um, the quote but it's like like uh, the poor in the US don't consider themselves exploited proletarians they consider themselves temporarily embarrassed millionaires and that's like like again beat into your head from childhood that anybody can make it anybody can have uh, a happy life and that that's mm-hmm. true anyone can be happy and have their needs provided for they just aren't deliberately and that's the thing people miss is like they think you can somehow like through enough grit and determination within capitalist uh, systems like assemble or uh, have class mobility uh that shit went away in the 70s and it's never been there for people of color mm-hmm. uh or women so like like I, I, I like it's just like that's just a fucking myth, and then people need to let that go. Like you see it more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of like wealth that's like owned is like all like uh, like swimming up to the like oldest demographics, and even then, like Gen Gen Xers are not going to be able to fucking retire. Uh, millennials are yeah. certainly never going to be able to retire. And I, we're fucked. I, like, John, we're, we're toast. And we're Zoomers, toast. Uh, we, we ain't even gonna, the retirement, that's not even gonna be a word by the time we're that age. Hopefully. I mean, and like, hopefully there'll be a revolution by then. But, but yeah, I think, you know, I think this is a really great, like, little essay to read if you're just kind of getting into socialist theory, um, you know, and we kind of want to, you know, we, we like to talk our shit, like I said earlier, but we also kind of want to start to try to bring, you know, because um, there are some people who like to just sit and say, like, oh, you don't need to read theory. Theory is reading theory is um, fucking that, that's uh, they think that it's classist or whatever, like uh, poor people can't read theory or like it's not it's accessible. It's very demeaning. To but say you know what? Like it's like. I, I agree. I think it's fucking offensive as hell to say that. Because what they're really saying is that the poor workers are too stupid to yeah, understand I, these things. Come on. And, you know, I, I just think about, you want to know what, if an illiterate peasant in fucking Russia in 1917 could understand this stuff, I think that Americans will be able to fucking, like, will be able I think to figure this for me, out. You like, know what like, I mean? I think a lot of it is, like, people are propagandized, and it is very cult-like, and, like, it's a matter of fundamentalism. Like, in the human mind... I think sometimes we disregard how much people cling to fundamental thoughts. For me, when I was like mm-hmm. pro-capitalist or whatever and a, a stupid fucking teenager, like I was just always, capitalism isn't bad. Christianity isn't bad. Like, like it can't be bad because my parents are Christian and capitalist. I'm Christian and capitalist, or at least I was, I convinced myself if they are, I must be. Oh, America isn't bad. Like, just these innate base assumptions. So, like, I would get annoyed whenever people would criticize America, even if it was completely fucking valid, because 
my baseline fundamental brain is just thinking this is true that's it nothing else can contradict that and then but you stop and think about it. like i remember like the first moment i really had like a real eureka moment like that i ignored you know like in a moment where i'm like oh and i could have followed through on it and become like a socialist or a communist but i didn't i was writing um i was gonna do like a uh, like graduation speech and I remember writing this whole thing and my entire speech was about some people are not going to be successful and that's sad, but we need to reflect on the fact that we all have the capability of being successful and they wouldn't let me do that. They wouldn't let me put that speech out because they said it was too pessimistic. And I said, well, it's true. Not everyone is going to be successful. That's just the way the system works. And they're like, well, I mean, yeah, but you shouldn't say that. And for me, that was a sad thing. It was like, oh, whatever, I get it. But instead of being like, why is it like that? I was just like, yeah, it's a fact of life. I just accepted that, that contradiction and not, it can't be everyone can make it and people should be fundamentally treated like fairly and not everyone will be able to afford good meals. Like, that's yeah. insane. But I, I didn't think about it uh, because you just, you're not meant to. It's a, like, it's a, such a cognitive dissonance that it's upsetting. And yeah, that, that like little mm -hmm. things like that. It, that's the stuff that it takes. Um, and yeah, I think I think this is a good place to end the episode. Um, we're gonna try to like either every other week or maybe every other two weeks. We'll figure. Mm -hmm. You know what? We're very organized. <laughs> that's the one thing we're known for. Is that we're very you organized and like definitely. I'm very. I'm John. Um, to be straightforward with you in the audience, uh, the listeners. Uh, I feel really good about this one. Uh, next time we're gonna read another like for the first like five or six of these readings that we'll do. Uh, we're gonna do simple layman shit, uh, lay people shit. Sorry, we want to be inclusive. I fucking I'm a they them. Give me a break. I, I'm non-binary, baby. Let's let's get to it. Let's be more inclusive. That's one thing I noticed about this. The sensitive non-binary. Yeah, the sensitive non-binary gangster. I noticed in the essay too. Like, and this is also a German thing, but like uh, Einstein constantly was talking like, like a man is not like like he sounded like fucking Andrew Ryan. Like, is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? I found that I found that. A, <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. That was fun. Um, but yeah, sorry, I got tangential there for a moment. Uh, we'll, our next one will either be a Lenin text or an Engels text. It'll be another short one, but just give you guys some basics on Marxist theory, and we'll just get into it, baby. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, thanks for listening to the show. Follow us on Twitter at RFSDPod. Um, give us money at anchor.fm slash RadioFreeSD. And there's a little support button. Help me pay my Help rent. Help John pay his rent um, and me as well, inevitably. That's going to have to happen soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, we we have a Patreon page that we just haven't done anything with. We'll, we'll start putting stuff up there eventually. Um, but thank you, people, sincerely for listening. Stay safe out there. Wear a mask. Um, and have a Solidarity good night, forever. <laughs>